0: As we have done over the last couple of weeks in this series on the church, we've sought to at least introduce some things regarding the church. And we're at a point, sort of in the middle section of this series, or nearing the middle portion of it, where we want to emphasize in three successive messages... What we would consider, that is myself and Pastor Tim and ultimately Pastor Todd as well, the three pillars, as it were, of the church. We believe those three pillars are exalting Christ, equipping the saints, and evangelizing the lost. I suppose if you narrowed everything down of that which is of monumental importance regarding the church, the mission of the church, the responsibility of the church, the end of the church, the design of the church, all of that, it would certainly encompass those three ideas. Exalting Christ, equipping the saints, evangelizing the lost, And so in these three successive messages, we want to bring to you this idea of this three-pronged approach to understanding the essence of the church. And oh, there is so much more to say, and we'll go on after these three particular messages to talk more about the church. But if you think of it in this way, we've introduced some concepts regarding the church and then these three pillar ideas and then maybe the functioning of the church how it works practically so for this morning's hour i want to introduce to you this concept of exalting christ now as i thought about what i might speak to you regarding this exaltation of christ i thought of a myriad of ways that we could tackle this subject as broad and as vast, and as deep as it is. For instance, I first thought, well, maybe I should exalt Christ among this people by talking about all of the names in the Bible that refer to the person of Christ. That's a great study, isn't it? You've probably gone through that kind of study before, and really that would be in itself, at least for me, probably a two-year study. And we don't have that much time. And then I thought to myself, maybe we should attack it this way. Maybe we should speak of the attributes of Christ, His person and His work. And we'll do that a little bit this morning. But I thought to myself, in reading through the book of Colossians this week, that it is very possible that the book of Colossians holds for us some keys And understanding Christ in a very vivid and marked and I trust helpful way to you this morning and I'm going to go really really fast because I have only 14 points that I want to give you this morning and then following up on those 14 points I want to give you 12 points of application and I'm not kidding so get your pen and pencil, ready, it's your paper, because this is so vast, I've included an outline on the screen behind me so that you won't be frustrated either at the points themselves or the Scripture, it's okay if you're frustrated at me, but at least not the outline, so that you and I, in a jet tour of the Scripture, seeing how Christ is exalted there. Alright? Now if you would turn in the book of Colossians, which will be our starting point, our launching pad, for seeing how Christ is to be exalted. In the book of Colossians, for instance, even in chapter 1, we see how Christ is exalted there. If you look at Colossians 1.13, You hear the Apostle Paul saying that He, referring to God the Father, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, that's Christ, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And now listen to this exaltation of the person of Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. Do you see the exaltation going on there? And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. I love that part because the word Hold together, or that phrase, is actually the idea of all things in Him find their coherence. Everything coheres in Him. Verse 18, And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. The preeminence of Christ. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That's talking about His deity. And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. I tell you what, from verse 13 to verse 20, there's some rich theology there. And then look at chapter 2, verse 3. The last word of verse 2 is this Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, my friends, that is a pregnant statement. It is, it is vast. Think about that. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Jesus Christ. And then this phrase. Look at chapter 3. This is amazing. Talking about the body of Christ, the church. And that's what this series is all about describing for you. Look at the latter part of verse 11. The last phrase. Christ is all And in all. Now, not trying to do any harm to the context with this passage or the other two from which I read, but if you get that flow, if you get that sense of who Christ is, according to Paul, as he's teaching the Colossians, you find so many things said about our Christ, including the idea that he's the head of the body. He reconciles to Himself all things and it goes on and on and in Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge and it's almost as though Paul caps it all off by saying, and I want you to know with an exclamation point, that Christ is all and in all. Now when it says that Christ is all, that's not saying that He's The all of pantheism, or panentheism. Not at all. It doesn't mean that He's all or in all in the sense that He's in everything. The rock, the tree, the automobile. That's not what it's referring to at all. Remember, it says that He might be preeminent. That is, that Christ is everything to us. He's our all in all. That's what Paul is driving toward. Christ is the sum and substance of our faith. He's everything to us. He means everything to us. He's to be exalted in and through our lives and by us to others because He means everything to us. He saved us. He redeemed us. He called us with a holy calling. And we're going to see a number of those things as we go through this. All that to say that from even just the book of Colossians, regardless of where else we go in the Scripture this morning, Christ means everything to the believer. And I guess I could ask at the front end of this message, does He mean everything to you? Is He everything to you? Is He your all in all? Well, someone might ask the question, well, tell me more, tell me more about Christ. Uh, Work me motivationally to exalt Christ as I know more about Him as to my relationship with Him. And maybe you're an unbeliever here this morning and you want to know even the first things about Christ. Well, I hope to do that this morning. And the way I want to do it is to say that Christ is everything to us because He lives inside of each one of us, because He's our Master, because He nourishes us, because He has rescued us from certain death. To put it succinctly, Christ is our all in all. In fact, even Paul will go on to say in chapter 3, Verse 1, leading up to that phrase, Christ is our all in all, if therefore you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Set your minds on Christ. That's what I want to do this morning. Set our minds on Christ the Word of God declares that Christ is and for us practically should be everything to us you say how so let me tell you number one number one here's where we go fast number one Christ is our all in all in our election to faith in Christ Christ is our all in all in our election to faith in Christ let's just begin at the beginning And the beginning for us is that you and I were chosen before the foundation of the world. Before you and I were ever born physically upon this earth, Christ loved us with an everlasting love because He decided from eternity past to set His love upon us. And that's where we ought to start. That's why Christ is everything to us. Because He elected us To faith in Christ even before the world began. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. This is amazing. This is marvelous. This is why you should exalt Christ in the church. Paul says, verse 3, "...Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places." Notice this, verse 4, "...even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him." It's amazing. And Romans 8, 29. You know it well. Of course, verse 28 He works all things together for good to those that love God and to those who are the called according to His purpose, the elect. And what are we called to? Verse 29 says, so that we might be conformed to the image of His Son. And it talks about election there. And it tells us That the very conformity to Christ's likeness is due to the fact that God started something and He's going to finish it. In other words, Christ is everything to us because He chose us. He chose to love us while we were yet sinners. That's why you ought to exalt Christ in your life. That's why He's your all in all. Because He elected you to faith in Christ. It wasn't something that you decided to do. It was something that He prompted you to do because He set His love upon you in eternity past. And out of the mass of sinful humanity, God chose a people for His own sake and out of that very choosing, you and I have come to faith in Jesus Christ. We've been elected to faith in Christ. That's why we ought to exalt Christ. That's why He's our all in all. When Paul says, Christ is our all and in all, what does he mean? He means that Christ is our all because He elected us to faith in Christ. If you and I weren't elected to faith in Christ, we would be forever unbelieving and banished to a Christless eternity in hell, experiencing judgment forever and ever. That's why Christ is our all in all. Secondly, Christ is our all in all in creation. Christ is our all in all in creation. John one three. Again, you know it well. I'm not giving you passages 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 that you're not very familiar with. John one three. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He's the creator. He created the world. And He created you and me as human beings to exalt Him, to praise Him. That's why we were created. And in the book of Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, and this, through whom also He created the world. Christ is everything to me. Because... He created me. He created the earth, yes, but He also created me. He's everything to us because He made the world and He made us and He made us to glorify Him and that's why He is our all in all. Thirdly, Christ is our all in all in our justification. In our justification. Titus 3.7 Oh, what a marvelous, wonderful passage that speaks of our justification. So that by by being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What does it mean to be justified by grace? Declared not guilty by God. Declared not guilty by God. Standing before God and having to give an account of your life, you can say, Jesus Christ died for me, and therefore, instead of a guilty plea, I've been declared not guilty. Not guilty. Romans 5.1 There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are, what? In Christ Jesus. To be justified. To be declared not guilty. To have the penalty taken, borne by someone else. And that's Christ. Why wouldn't we want to exalt Christ? Why wouldn't we want to see Him as our all and in all? Because He justified me. He declared me not guilty. He paid the penalty for my sin. The penalty that I deserved. The penalty that that I should pay. And He justified me. Christ is everything to us because He took our place and died the death that we should die. Number four. Christ is our all in all in our redemption. In our redemption. 1 John 2 2. And he paid for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. Here's the idea the idea is that Jesus Christ paid for the sins not only of those. Jews, but also of those Gentiles, that is, the makeup of the known world at that time, it was the opportunity, it was the idea, it was the reality that First John 2.2 2 declares that He's our advocate and that He redeemed us. Not only the Jews, not only those to whom He first came, but also the Gentile world. What a marvelous thing that's why 1 Corinthians 130 says he came to be for us redemption redemption the very word is what he became for us in 1 Timothy 2:6 1 Timothy 2:6 this is a, another statement that nails for us the idea of the redemption of Christ for us he gave himself as a ransom for all. Remember Mark 1045? He did not come to serve to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a what? A ransom for many. Christ bought us back from the slave market of sin. That's why he's our all in all. Because he's our redeemer. Here's another. Number five. Christ is our all in all in conversion. In conversion. In Titus chapter 3, I read verse 7 a moment ago. If you go on in Titus, you'll see very clearly that in chapter 3, he's also all in all in conversion. Because in Titus chapter 3, Verse 5, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, no works of ours, nothing that we can do, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. That's conversion. Do you see that language there? Washing and renewal. That's conversion language. And we exalt Christ because... He is the agent using the Holy Spirit to convert us to Christ. We even use that when we talk about salvation language, don't we? I was converted to Christ. I was, I was converted. The Holy Spirit lavished upon me this washing of regeneration. My need to be washed clean, thoroughly clean, to renew me. 2 Timothy He saved us. He called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace. Yes, His purpose was to convert me. Christ is everything because He sent the Holy Spirit to cause us to be born again. Number six, Christ is our all in all in providence. You know why you ought to exalt Christ? You know why He's your all in all? Because I quoted a moment ago, Romans 8.28, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those that love God and to those who are the called according to His purpose. He works all things out for our good. That's His providence. That's what He does. In Matthew 5.45, He causes the rain to to fall on the just and the unjust. God providentially "...ensures that you and I are taken care of." Matthew 6.33 "...seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you." Christ is everything because He directs our steps. Here's the way the Westminster Shorter Catechism puts it, "...with His most holy, wise, and powerful preserving and governing all His creatures and all their actions." Can you serve a God like that? Can you exalt a Christ like that? I mean, every time you wonder how it's going to go tomorrow. If you're anxious about whether or not tomorrow will give you what you need for survival, be anxious no longer. The God of providence is here. And He loves you. And He cares for you. And He will take care of you no matter what. Because... He gives us His most holy and wise and powerful preserving because He governs all His creatures and all their actions. you ever thought about the idea that you and I are so thankful that the Lord doesn't take not only one day but one minute off? Always working. Always in His providence taking care of us. you ever thought about that when you heard about some wreck ahead of you? And how you were delayed for a moment? Knowing that you were spared? Do you think God is powerfully, providentially working, caring, taking care of you? I told you recently, of course, about my son Logan being robbed at gunpoint. And two days later, somebody, another young man, same age, same scenario, same situation. Logan was spared. That person was not. God providentially Preserves. You say, well, He didn't spare that other young man. We know that God's will reigns supreme. And when He providentially prepares and cares, we also accept His will and purpose when it occurs, no matter what occurs. Christ is everything to us because He's our all in all in providence. Number seven, Christ is our all in all in Preservation. Preservation. Not only does He provide providentially, but He also preserves us. He allows nothing whatsoever to happen to us that isn't within His sovereign, complete control. That's why that little epistle of Jude right before this grand book of the Revelation says in verse 1, Jude a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Oh, that's not a throwaway word. That's not a throwaway idea. Don't just read those opening salutations and say, "Oh, I'm wanting to get on to the meat of the epistle." Kept For Jesus Christ. And look how it ends in verses 24 and 25. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling. That's preservation language. And to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. To the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. Be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time. And now and forever. Amen. To keep you from stumbling the Bible says. Christ is our all in all because God's sovereign, complete control allows us to experience in life nothing other than His preserving grace. His, preser- His, His preservation grace. Number eight, Christ is our all in all in comfort. You remember when there was a grand need for the disciples of Jesus to be comforted? He's telling them things about His going away. They don't understand it. They don't get it. And he says in John chapter 14, I want to tell you a few things. And as he speaks to them, he says this about his going away and about their confusion. John 14:1. let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Verse 16, and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth. And verse 27, Peace I leave with you, My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And does He not say in Matthew chapter 9, Come unto Me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I, if you take My yoke upon you, will give you what? Rest. Rest. Comfort. Comfort and rest. First Peter five seven. Cast all your cares upon Him because He what? He cares for you. Don't doubt the care and the goodness of God. He cares for you. He comforts you in affliction. No matter what your station in life, no matter what is happening, no matter what dark clouds are on the horizon, He will comfort you. That's why He's our all in all. Nobody can comfort like that. No human being no institution, no organization, no other person can comfort you like Jesus Christ. He's everything, because no matter what happens to us, He will grant us His peace and His assurance. Number nine, Christ is our all in all in truth. In truth. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 20, as John comes to end that first epistle, he says, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we might know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. He is truth. John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Me. Listen to that declarative sentence. I am the truth i don't just contain truth i don't just teach truth i am truth incredible christ is everything he's our all in all because he will never lie and he will always keep his word ever had a friend like that (laughs) ever totally relied on someone who inevitably failed you of course we have all of us have You know, you really counted on that person in your time of need and you wanted the straight scoop and you wanted them to tell you honestly what was going on and they failed you. They couldn't bring themselves to tell you the truth. Maybe the truth about the world. Maybe the truth about yourself. Maybe the truth about the situation. He will never lie. Why? Because He is the truth. Christ is everything to us. Christ is our all in all because He will never lie. Number 10. Christ is our all in all in strength. In strength. Philippians 4.13, you know it well. I can do all things through Christ who what? Strengthens me. He strengthens me. 1 John 5 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And on what basis is that true? The love of God. Verse 3 of chapter 5, For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. If I know Him, if I come to know Him, And if I then set myself on a course of keeping His commandments, His love will overpower me in such a way that I actually say about all of His commandments, they're not burdensome to me. I can do this through Christ who strengthens me. 1 Peter 4.11 Maybe the best place for which we go to see this strength of God. That in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Listen to this. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Well, I want to glorify Him and I want to minister my spiritual gifts because this is that context. And He says, if you speak, if you have a speaking gift, and if you serve, if you have a serving gift, you ought to do so by the strength that God supplies. Who supplies the strength? God. And he even supplies the strength for us to glorify Him. To praise him, to honor him. Praise God! He's everything to us because He's all powerful. He gives us all His strength, and when we have all His strength, we can do what He says. Number eleven: Christ is our all-in-all in, all in our material and our physical and our financial needs. You ever wondered how are you going to make that next bill payment? You ever wondered if truly all of your needs are going to be met? Second Corinthians 9 tells you very, very clearly, believer, verse 8, God is able to make all, all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work. He, verse 10, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You say, well, that's spiritual. Yes, it is. But won't the spiritual, if you're acting that way, accrue to the physical, to the material, to the financial? Did I not quote to you a moment ago, Matthew six thirty-three, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things. What things? What are the, these things of Matthew 6.33? Food, shelter, clothing. That's why He says, don't be anxious for your life, what you'll wear. Don't, don't be anxious for your life, or what you'll put on, your food, your sustenance, your clothing, your shelter. Because if you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and if all things abound in Christ... If He's our all in all, then every material and physical and financial need will be met as God supplies. He's everything to us because He's promised to take care of every need that we have. A true need. Maybe not a want, but a true need. Number twelve, Christ is our all in all in death. He's our all in all in death. You say, that sounds macabre. Well, it's not when you come to die. It's not when you actually come to die. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are what? With me. To comfort me. To take care of me. Why do so many Christians, upon their deathbed, ask for somebody to read Psalm 23? Because it's a comfort in death. Christ is our all in all because He is that rod. He is that staff. He comforts me. That's why the Apostle Paul can say in Philippians 1.21, what he de- what he does, he says in Philippians 1.21, these precious words. And think about this when you are coming to die. For to me, to live is Christ. And to die is what? Gain. Gain. That's why Paul says to the Philippians, I've traded it all for Christ. traded it all. Because Christ is my all and all, even when I come to die. In fact, I would say it like this. The only thing that you can cling to, the only thing that you should cling to, the only thing that you must cling to, is Christ when you come to die. Not your money. Not your house. Not your cars. Not even your relationships, as precious as they are. The only thing is Christ. See, that's why everything in Him coheres. Everything in Him holds together. That's why He's preeminent. That's why He's exalted. That's why in Him are all, are all hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge so that you and I, when we come to die, are clinging only to Christ. You say, just upon our death? Well, what does death mean? Judgment. Judgment. Verse thir- Number 13. Christ is our all in all in judgment. Judgment. I think I quoted wrongly a moment ago Romans 5 1, therefore those who are in Christ Jesus, that's Romans 8 1. This is, this is God telling us so very clearly who we are. No condemnation for those who are in Christ, which means then that that condemnation has passed. Think about that. Your condemnation, my condemnation, has already passed. We don't. We don't have to stand at the portals of heaven to be judged by God. We have already been judged. And how have we been judged? Christ's death has accrued for us, so that that judgment has passed. It was borne by Christ. It was poured upon him. The wrath of God was poured on him. He was sacrificed for us. First John chapter three, verse fourteen. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. You see, Christ is our all in all because for us, when there was to be a time upon our death that would be standing in judgment, the judgment has already passed because we passed out of death into life, the life of Christ. This is so marvelous. Chapter 4. Verse 17, by this is love perfected with us so that we might have confidence for the day of judgment because as He is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. There's no fear in judgment because Christ is our all in all. And number 14, Christ is our all in all in eternity. In eternity. First Thessalonians chapter four, verse seventeen. 1 Thessalonians four seventeen. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Is there not more comforting words than that? All eternity. No sorrow. No pain. No teary eyes. Ushering through death, not into judgment, but into hope. Hope for all eternity. Now, all those 14 things, and really, I joked a moment ago, there could be literally thousands more about how Christ is our all in all. They really could. But now, if you're out there, if you're an unbeliever and you say, I want this Christ, if you're a believer and you say, I want to treasure Him more and more, let me give you some practical applications of Christ being our all in all. Okay? Number one. Number one. If this is true, this is absolutely true, and it is, number one, we should know Him above all others. In other words, if all of that is true about Christ being my all in all, what's my response? What's my practical application? What am I supposed to do about the message this morning about you saying I should exalt Jesus Christ? Here it is: We should know Him above all others. If Christ is our all in all, I want to know Him above every other relationship. If, if He's if He's that to me, if He's everything to me, why wouldn't I want to know Him above all others? Is that your heart? Paul says in 1 Corinthians two two, For I, be, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's, that's the idea. Philippians 3. I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. We should know Him above all others if Christ is our all in all. Number two. We should choose Him above all others. We should choose Him above all others. Do you remember Deuteronomy 30.19? Moses says, "So choose life in order that you may live." Well did not Jesus say in John 14:6, "I am the way, the truth, and the life." So choose life. Choose the life of Christ. Set your minds on Christ, who is our life." Paul told the Colossians. First John, 419, we love because he first loved us. I quoted it a moment ago. Joshua 2415, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That was a choice that he made, right? You put that scripture on your house, so many of you. We have it. You have it. We will serve the Lord. That's a deliberate choice that you've made. We're not going to live like pagans. We're not going to live like the world. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Choose Him above all others if Christ is your all in all. Number three, we should desire Him above all others. We should desire Him above all others. This is practical stuff. Isaiah twenty-six, eight: Thy name, even Thy memory, is the desire of our souls. Isn't that wonderful? Lord, Your name, even my knowledge of You, my memory of You is the desire of my soul. Psalm 42, one, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. Number four, we should love Him above all others. We love Him because He first loved us. We love Him supremely. Psalm 73.25 Whom have I in heaven but you and beside you I desire nothing on earth. 1 Peter 3.15 Sanctify Christ as what? Lord in your hearts. He's number one. He's preeminent. He's the chief. He's the end. He's the alpha. He's the omega. Christ is everything to me. Therefore, I should love Him above all others. Number five, we should trust Him above all others. And you will trust somebody that you love. And if you trust the one who gave himself for you, who never lies, who comforts you and preserves you and providentially cares for you and who elects you to faith in Christ and who converts you, then you ought to trust him above all others. Remember Jeremiah seventeen five through 8? If you trust in the Lord, you're like that tree that's firmly planted. Sounds a lot like Psalm 1. And when the storms come, and when the heat comes, you'll not not be anxious in a year of drought, nor will you cease to yield fruit, because you're trusting Him. Why? Because that verse, that passage, verses 5 to 8 says, Do not trust in man or the strength of man's arm, but trust in the Lord, because the Lord is your trust. Objectively, the Lord is your trust. Subjectively, I trust Him. I trust Him. 2 Corinthians 1.20 For as many as may be the promises of God in Christ, they are yes and amen. Proverbs 3 Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. Trust Him above all others. Upon your own ingenuity... Upon even counsel you receive from others, if it's not according to the trust above and alone in Christ. Number six, we should meditate on Him above all others. Psalm 5.1 Give ear to my words, O Lord, and consider my meditation. Meditating on Christ. Psalm 19.14 Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Psalm 63.6 When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. Psalm 119.97 Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. You should meditate on Christ. Meditate on Christ if He's your all in all. Number seven. We should be delighted in Him above all others. Philippians 3.3 For we worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. You see, we should know Him above all others, choose Him above all others, desire Him above all others, love Him above all others, trust in Him above all others, meditate upon Him above all others, and delight in Him above all others. We should delight in Him. Nehemiah 111 O Lord, I beseech you, may your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to revere your name do you do you delight to revere God's name? You see if Christ has saved you, if he's called you, if he's forgiven you, if he's redeemed you, if he's converted you, wouldn't you want to delight in him? wouldn't you want to revere his name? Psalm 37.4, delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. Number eight, we should imitate Him above all others. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, Be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. Ephesians 5, be imitators of God. 1 Peter 1, be like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. You should imitate Him above all others. Imitate Christ. Number nine, you should preach Him and no other. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 5, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus our Lord. Remember Acts 4:12 there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved it is the name of Christ Acts 8:35 to the Ethiopian eunuch Philip opened his mouth and began preaching this scripture and he preached from the scripture Jesus to him preach Jesus Number 10 we should see Christ alone as our focus of study in scripture John 5:39 It is the scripture that bear witness of me, Jesus said. You want to know about Christ? Then he's the focus of all of the study of all of the scripture. Colossians 3:16 Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You ought to know Him above all others, choose Him above all others, desire Him above all others, love Him more than all others, trust in Him more than all others, meditate upon Him than all others, delight in Him more than everyone else, imitate Him like no one else, preach Him like no one else, preach only Him and no one else, and focus upon your study of the Scripture in Christ. And number 11, you should keep Him as the object, focus, and end of your prayers. Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Ephesians 3, I bow my knees before the Father, that He would grant that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Every prayer, every focus, every end, through our intercession, through our prayers, should be on Christ. And lastly, we should worship Him above all others. Revelation 1.17, and when I saw Him, John says, I fell at His feet. I just saw this exalted, transcendent, sinless Christ. And I was so stunned because I knew that Christ could see my sin. And so I fell down as though I were a dead man. Revelation 4.10, the 24 elders will fall down before Him who sits on the throne and will worship Him who lives forever and ever. Christ, my beloved people, are all and all for all of us. For every individual and for the corporate entity called the church because in election and creation and justification and redemption and conversion and providence and preservation and comfort and truth and strength and financial needs and material needs and physical needs and death and judgment and eternity, Christ is all in all. And as a result of that, you and I should know Him, choose Him, desire Him, love Him, trust Him, meditate upon Him, delight in Him, imitate Him, preach Him, focus Him through our studies and prayers, and worship Him beyond all others. Because Christ is our all in all. Listen to this as we close. Jeremiah Burroughs, for whom I'm so indebted for the message this morning because he wrote a book, Christ is our all in all. And he said this, listen to this as we close. God the Father is infinitely satisfied in Christ. He is all in all to Him. Surely, if Christ is an object sufficient for the satisfaction of the Father, much more than is He an object sufficient for the satisfaction of any soul. You know what he's saying? If Jesus Christ, in all of His fullness, in all of His attributes, in all of His grace, in all of His wonder, in all of His wisdom, in all of His ways, in all of His doings, if He is ultimately, and totally, and completely, and sufficiently the satisfaction of the Father, then you're here telling me today that He's not the satisfaction and sufficiency of your soul? What does that say about us? If He is completely pleasing to the Father, through whom the Father says, Listen to Him, for in Him I am well pleased. Well pleased. And Christ should be the satisfaction of every soul, every soul who would utter these words, Christ is my all. In all. Let's bow together in prayer. Jesus Christ, we are unworthy to be elected by Your grace and to receive all of these other benefits, let alone to be standing here exalting You, Christ, Worshipping you in the church with a heart that sees Christ as our all in all. Oh, why doesn't my heart, why doesn't my soul, why doesn't my mind, why, why doesn't my strength just cry out each and every day, each and every moment that Christ is my sufficiency He is the satisfaction of my soul. Oh, it's because I seem to be so satisfied with so many lesser things. My mind becomes distracted on would-be sufficiencies. And I must refocus my heart upon the satisfaction of Christ because He is your satisfaction, Father. Oh, uh, may I live... And may I breathe, and may I move, and may I work, and may I do all of that which is in my professed Christian life in light of the sufficiency and satisfaction that Christ is to me. And may it be so. Not just with words, but in actions. Not just with thoughts, but with doings. Not just with my mind, but with my behavior. With my actions. Oh Lord. Allow each one of us to grow. In ever mature. Awakening ways. To the exalted Christ. Who is our all. In all. May it be so in the church. For whom. You died. Thank you Jesus Christ. And through you to the Father. With the enablement of the Spirit. We all say. Amen.